Okay, so our topic this year for Sukkot is from the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2, as we've seen this theme for the High Holy Days, right out of Joel, three-chapter book. And we've seen chapter 1 with Rosh Hashanah, blow the shofar in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy mountain. And so the, the announcing, and then, uh, and then we've seen uh, the wailing and the weeping, and, and, and maybe that wasn't out of chapter 1, but in the three chapters, we see this whole theme of, of this High Holy Days. And then judgment and judgment to come and God's judgment upon the earth and upon the wicked. So the themes of Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah. And now we're going to see in this chapter, chapter 2, the second part of chapter 2, the themes of Sukkot very clearly brought out in this book. Like again, this book was written just for the high holy days and just for our time. So never be put to shame. Starting in verse 18, then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied by them, and I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations. So he's pr promising here that he's going to be zealous. He's going to be zealous for us. He's going to be zealous for the land. He's going to be zealous for Eretz Israel, the world. He's going to be zealous for his people, and the Lord is going to provide for us. He's going to bless us with harvest products. He's going to give us grain and new wine, not old wine, not fermented wine, but new, fresh wine, grape juice. He's going to bless us with an oil, so olive branches, right? And so, what is it, chapter one or wherever, the locusts eat everything, and then here God's promising this abundance of blessing. And that, again, is the theme of Sukkot, of this harvest time, this abundant harvest that God gives to us, and then we will no longer be a reproach among the nations. And so if we will no longer be a reproach among the nations, what does that mean happens before God says we will no longer be a reproach, right? We're going to be reproached, right? So there's going to be an attack, there's going to be judgment, it's going to be a fearful time, a difficult time, a rough time, scary time, but God will step in and then we will no longer be a reproach. Verse 20, But I will remove far from you the northern army, and I will drive them away into a barren and desolate land. With his face toward the eastern sea and his back toward the western sea, his stench will come up and his foul odor will rise because he has done monstrous things. Now in the setting here, who is the northern army that's referred to in the Bible regarding Israel? Who's the northern army that comes and attacks Israel? Syria. Well, Syria is directly to the north. That's not the one that's usually mentioned. Babylon. Babylon is the one because they have to come through Syria. So they come over the Fertile Crescent and come down, referred to from the north. Uh, and so Babylon is the reference here. And in Revelation, who's the enemy? Oh, there's the dragon, right? But the dragon uses... Babylon, right? The spiritual Babylon. This, this Babylon represented in the last days. So there's a lot of symbolism in, uh, in Revelation. There's a, there's a beast and there's a lamb and there's, uh, there's God's people, the children of Israel and, and, and Babylon. So many uh, comparisons and analogies that way. And so he says he's going to 
Take that northern, the Babylon, the spiritual Babylon, the things of this world, the confusion of this world, the uniting of the political forces with the uh, economic forces and the business world and, and the religious forces of the world, all uniting together, all coming together and attacking God's people in the last days. And so that's united front of all the world coming together, all the world wandering after the beast and coming against God's people. But God says he's going to take this northern army and he's going to drive it away into a barren and desolate land. What happens to things that are cast into barren and desolate lands? They die, right? They die, right? And so in, in Zechariah, it gives this similar analogy. It says that they will receive no rain. Well, a place that receives no rain dries up and becomes barren and desolate and anything there dies, right? So that's the symbolism there, right? It's not that they live on in this just no rain stay forever and ever. It's just a means that they will be, uh, they will die off. And then uh, again, going back to the Yom Kippur parallel in Leviticus 16, where it describes the events that took place on Yom Kippur when the temple was standing, there were two goats. One was the Lord's goat and one was the scapegoat. And the punishment for the sins are placed upon the scapegoat and the scapegoat is let out and cast out into a barren and desolate land, right? So the destruction of Satan, the, the doing away with the, the removal of sin from God's people, removed from, from us, never to bother us ever again, to die out there in the barren and desolate land. So that's what God will do with those who, don't, who choose to resist God's love, who choose to rebel against God and stay in rebellion against God. He will remove them, those who fight against God, fight against his people. He'll take them away and remove them to a barren and desolate land. So judgment. And their stench will come up and his foul odor will arise. Well, when does foul odor arise? What is the foul odor arising from? The decaying, the decaying death, right? So again, they die out there, they death. Uh, the Bible says that the slain of the Lord will be from one end of the earth to the other. Uh, they won't be buried, that they won't be lamented because uh, God's people will be taken up and and to heaven and the wicked will be destroyed with the brightness of his coming, right? The sheep will be brought into his barns and the wheat into the barns and the, and the goats or the weeds, tares will be burned up, right? So it will be destroyed, left vacant on this earth and then they will just rot away and their stench uh, will rise up and stench will come up, the foul odor will come up in Revelation. It says the birds of the air will come and eat their flesh. So all this symbolism of, of just death, judgment upon the wicked and deliverance for the righteous because they've done monstrous things, right? So monster, right? So the beast power is doing monstrous, horrible things, right? So it's going to get bad. And uh, in some parts of the world right now, it's very bad. In some parts of the world, it's been bad for a long, long time. And uh, we're starting to see a lot of bad things coming to light, <laughs> going on for a long time, but coming to light and getting worse and worse in Western societies as well. But we ain't seen nothing yet. It's going to get really monstrous. But the next verse says, Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid. Beasts of the field, the pastures are springing up, and the trees bear its fruit. The vine yields its strength. Be glad, children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain and he will cause the former rain and the latter rain to come down in the first month. So while the devil and the 
powers of this world will be do monstrous, horrible things, unbelievable things, horrible, horrible, wicked, wicked things. Murder, mass murder, oppression, control, manipulation, horrible, monstrous things. God will do marvelous things for his people. And so we don't have to fear. It says, fear not, do not be afraid. Two different times. So we don't have to fear. Even though we know it's coming and we need to know it's coming. And don't be deceived because they're going to say peace and safety. Right? So at the same time, horrible things are going to be coming. There'll be the lie of, don't worry, this is great. Peace and safety. And so there might be this kind of calm in the midst of the storm. Or like, as the eye of the storm. You know, we know hurricanes here. Right? So the front of the hurricane comes through, smashing things. And then the eye comes over and it's like, oh, peace. Everyone goes out of their house. You know, oh, nice. And then the other half of the storm comes through. And so there'll be like this peaceful time all of a sudden. There'll be horrible things. Now all of a sudden, peace. Oh, peace and safety. This is it. This is wonderful. That's not the end yet. Marvelous things. But don't be afraid. Right? So we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to fear those things. Whether we become martyrs or whether we become oppressed and reproached, censored, canceled, difficult times. Don't be afraid. Because it's not about this earth. When you see these things, look up and rejoice because your redemption is coming close. Draw us near. It's near at hand. It's almost over. The time is at hand. So rejoice. And it tells us three times here to rejoice. Be glad and rejoice. Be glad and rejoice. Rejoice, you children. So rejoice. Where do we hear rejoice from? That's a goat. <laughs> right? When are we commanded to rejoice? During Sukkot. So here we see this symbolism of the judgment upon the wicked, the Yom Kippur, the final ultimate judgment day, God's deliverance for his people, God's provision of wine and new oil, a new wine, a new wine and, and oil and, and grain, providing for his people the harvest, and that we rejoice. And then we're commanded to rejoice. So we don't have to be afraid because we're in our booths. We're in, covered in God's tabernacle. God tabernacling with us, God with us, God standing there in the fire with us, right? He's not going to deliver us out of the fire. He's going to deliver us in the fire. Right? He'll keep us and hold us fast in the fire. Right? He'll hold us close in the land of Goshen, right? in Egypt. He'll protect us there while the plagues are falling all around us. God will sustain his people and we can rejoice because the Former rain and the latter rain. We're going to see that a little bit more here, an explanation of that. The former rain and the latter rain, but it's the rain that ripens the harvest. It's the rain that brings forth the, uh, the good fruit for the, for the harvest to take place. And so at this point, we can be rejoicing and we can continue to rejoice and rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Right? Paul wrote that from a dungeon with rats crawling over him. And I don't know if they had cockroaches there, but you know, they had cockroaches crawling or whatever. All kinds of horrible things and maybe ants biting him and horrible things as he slept there on a hard, cold, damp, uh, stony floor and chained to a cold, damp, stony wall. He said, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And he was there falsely accused and falsely charged. But rejoice anyway. Not rejoice because, oh, everything's good. Oh, don't worry, be happy. All right, that's lunacy, right? But it's do not fear and rejoice. And there's a difference between don't worry 
and be happy, <laughs> right? Because uh, that's denying that the reality is around us, right? We're not denying it, right? We're acknowledging it, we see it, we know it's bad, but we give it over to the Lord and rejoice in spite of it. And don't fear because God is in control, not because we're ignoring the problems, but we're not fearing because God's gonna deal with them once and for all. God will have the final judgment. God will have the final say. God is the judge over the earth. God is the judge above judges. God is the king above kings. God is the Lord above lords. He is the one that we trust in and that we look to and not the things of this earth. All this stuff will pass away. It's all gonna burn up anyway, right? Your car is gonna burn up. The house is gonna burn up. It's all gonna burn up. The money's all gonna burn up. It's all here today, gone tomorrow anyway. So it doesn't really matter. And the flesh is gonna pass away too. So we don't need this whole flesh either. Doesn't matter. Verse 24, the threshing floor shall be full of wheat and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The swarming, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great, great army which I had sent among you. So God's going to restore to us. So we don't have to fear. We can trust in the Lord. Right? And so if there's anything you're going through now, maybe you're fearing some of the things in the future. Maybe you're looking at your retirement account or your, your income or, or, your, or the prices in the stores or, and you're starting to fear and get anxious and worried. Give it over to the Lord. Trust in him. Right? Have faith in him. He's able to provide for us manna in the wilderness, water out of a rock in a desert. Right? So don't fear. Trust in the Lord. God brought up bird to bring Elijah bread, right? So God can do anything. He can make the, the oil and the grain multiply in the jugs. Here again, he's talking again, harvest time, threshing floors full of wheat, and again, vats with new wine. So full of freshly pressed olive uh, grapes into the grape juice and oil in abundance, harvesting uh, God's blessing upon us and restoring to us the years that have been lost, that have been devastated, have been taken away. And so if you've experienced loss, God will restore to you, claim God's promise. Right? Like Job, Job lost everything except his nagging wife. He lost everything else. Right? And, uh, and God restored to him abundance of more. Right? And just to, he'll see his children in heaven but everything else he lost, and then God gave him much more. And so maybe you've lost here, you've had experienced loss, maybe loss through death, maybe loss of loved ones, maybe loss through divorce or circumstances or situations or job situations or business problems or financial problems or accident or loss of abilities or loss of reputation. Maybe you've been... Uh, derided and accused and falsely accused and misjudged. And it's taken away from you. It's taken away time from you. It's taken away energy from you. It's taken away your heart and, and your dreams and your future and your plans. Claim God's promise that he will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. Whatever the devil has taken away, whatever people of this world have taken away, whatever has rusted and corrupted in this world, 
and been lost through famine, through flood, through hurricanes, through storms, through fire. God will restore all good things. And no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And so whatever we lost, God will restore and a thousand times better than anything. No one leaves father or mother or husband or lands for God's sake and for the kingdom's sake who will not receive a hundredfold more in this life and in the life to come. So trust the Lord, let go of that stuff. Right? If you've been grieving and, and not really grieving, but holding on to that stuff and, and not coming to terms with it and continuing to lament and cry over things that are past, things that are gone, things that have been removed, things that have been taken, things that have been stolen, things that have departed, leave them with the Lord. Whether persons or things or time, leave it with the Lord. Trust in him. Move on for his honor and glory. Live with God's purpose and plan for you now and purpose and plan for you the future. And make sure that your anchor is secure in him and that your salvation is secure in him and that your eternal life is secure in him. And he will restore the years and all the stuff so much better. Of that mansion in heaven, we'll have that house in the field, we'll have a tree of life and river of water of life and abundance and be with the Lord forever and ever and walk hand in hand with him. And with all of the redeemed down through the ages, you'll be buddies with Noah and with Sarah and Rebecca and Abraham, right? Those will be your friends. I have more abundant friends, right? More than anything on this earth could ever have. And heavenly angels and beings. I believe there's lots of beings that God created that have never fallen. God will introduce us to them, be able to give a testimony of God's love for us. God will restore and give us more than we could ever ask or think. No eye has seen, no ear heard, nor can even come into your mind and your imagination the great things that God has in store for you. Marvelous things. Marvelous things. He will do marvelously. He'll do wonderfully in our behalf. And he already has, really. He's already given us everything. He's already given us his son. And since he gave us his most precious possession, he gave him himself and Yeshua gave himself for us, what will he withhold? Right? He's already given us everything we need for life and happiness. So we can trust in him today, in the future, and for eternity. Amen. And so lay a hold of this wonderful promise. God, I claim your restoration in my life. Verse 26, and you shall eat plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be put to shame. You shall know that I am the Lord in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. So he's done marvelously, and he's done wondrously, and we can praise his name. So again, rejoicing and praising him. O do la donai kitov. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Right? And so giving thanks to the name of the Lord and praising the name of the Lord. And then twice it says we will never, or really the third time because it said it once earlier. So it's three times really God's emphasizing this. This rejoice is a promise. 
And so when he says it twice, it's a firm promise. When he says it three times, it's like definite. I mean, it's definite already, but it's abundant. He doesn't want us to miss it. Three times to, to rejoice and to be glad and to uh, praise his name. And now here three times, my people will never be put to shame. Never be put to shame again. And so if you've experienced shame, whether because you brought it on yourself from wrong choices, from mistakes, from rebellion, from stupidity, turn it over to the Lord. Receive his forgiveness, receive his grace. Yeshua has been sacrificed in your behalf already. Accept his forgiveness and allow him to give you the ability to forgive yourself, right? To grieve that, to go through that, to let go of that. Because he has taken your shame. He has taken it upon yourself. He who knew no sin became sin for us. So we who know no righteousness might be the righteousness of God in him. What a great trade. That's a bargain. Don't miss out on that one. All right, so take that. He's taken our shame. He's taken our guilt. He's taken our crime. He's taken our woe. He's taken it into himself. He's taken us into himself. And he has buried it into two. He's killed it. He's removed it. He's removed it far from you. You're forgiven, cleansed, redeemed. And so we can claim that and thank God for that. Also, any shame that people have placed on you, any shame that people have tried to put on you, false shame, uh, lies, um, reproach, bad-mouthing, slander against you. All the shame they try and put upon us, all the words that they put upon us, sometimes our parents, the grandparents, teachers, when we're young, the kids, kids against kids, as adults, our bosses or co-workers or others, our neighbors, person driving down the road cursing you out, because you're not going as fast as he is or whatever. Because your car doesn't go zero to 900 in 10 seconds, you know. All the shame, all the, hell, they curse you, yeah, yeah, boss, whatever, your tenant or your landlord, rah, 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 rah. Hey, you can take it to heart that God is this, is he, you know, is there something really in me? Is there something wrong? Was I being inconsiderate? Was I being, you know, am I... Late on my payments, am I lazy? Am I not working right? Is there anything in me that's wrong? Yeah, so it's good to, even if they didn't say it in a nice way, right? But if it was, then give it over to the Lord, accept his forgiveness. If it wasn't, turn it over to the Lord. And even if they said it in a nasty, mean, horrible way, let that go to the Lord. He has borne the shame of the world. Not only your shame, but their shame as well. Not only your guilt, but their guilt as well. So don't take it upon yourself. Right? So those words, don't let them bounce, bounce off you. Don't take them into yourself. Don't eat them. Don't ingest them. Just ingest God's word. What God says about you, that's all that matters. You are his beloved child. Just as much as you chew it, and he is well pleased with you. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto you, that you should be called children of God. That's all that matters. 
It's what anyone else says. Oh, you can't. You'll never. You're horrible. You're this. You're fat. You're ugly. You're small. You're short. You're dumb. You're whatever. You know, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what they think. Who cares what they think? Doesn't matter what the world thinks. You know, the commercials, the magazines, the billboards, what they all say we're supposed to look like and act like and look like. Forget it. Who cares? None of that matters. It doesn't matter at all. Doesn't matter. Nothing matters. The only thing that matters is what God says and what God thinks of you and God's worth in you. Not even what you think about yourself. That doesn't matter either. It doesn't matter at all what you think about yourself. Really doesn't. The only thing that matters is what God thinks about you. And God loves you with an everlasting love. He gave everything for you. He traded places with you. Thus, he thinks of you as much as he thinks of himself and even more so. And that he gave his life and he died for you. And not just three days in the grave. He was willing to stay there forever. He gave you his throne. He gave you his seat in heaven. He gave you his place in heaven. Traded places with you. Can't, he can't show your value any more than that. Can't show his love to you any more than that. And so the people of this world, the things of this world, again, our own tapes in our own head, don't matter. Give over the shame. You'll never be put to shame ever again. Never be abused ever again. Never be neglected ever again. Never be rejected ever again. Never be forgotten ever again. You're in the beloved. He'll tabernacle with you. He's going to raise you up, bring you into heavenly places with him bring you into the gates of heaven, bring you into the new Jerusalem, show you the mansion he's prepared for you, hand you a piece of fruit from his tree, and he's going to tabernacle with you. Right? He's going to be with us. I am in the midst of Israel. Right? That's what he did in the wilderness. He came and tabernacled with us. He came into our midst. He came and dwelt with us in the Shekinah glory in the tabernacle. And then Yeshua came in the flesh to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. In us, in the flesh, in humanity, feeling our pain, feeling our suffering, knowing what it's like to be misunderstood, knowing what it's like to be rejected and, and abused and beaten and, 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 and rejected knowing what it's like to grieve and have sorrow and sorrow above sorrows. No beauty that we should esteem him and all have left him. He understands, he knows, he came and is in our midst. And now he sends his spirit, his Holy Spirit, to come into our hearts and into our minds and dwell in us. I am am in the midst of Israel. He in us. Right? We know he lives. How do you know he lives? Because he lives within your heart. Right? And with him in us, there's no shame. Nothing to be ashamed. I will go forth and preach and teach and tell others. And it won't be accepted. The mass majority are not going away to destruction is broad. And many there be that go that way. I don't think it's going to be accepted and you're going to get praise from the world. 
And what they've done to him, they'll do to us. And what they've done in a good time in a green tree, don't think of what they're going to do in a dry time. But it doesn't matter because he is in our midst. He is dwelling in us. And that's all that matters. His great love for you. Never, you will never be put to shame. Grab a hold of that today. Grab a hold of that right now. Grab a hold of that promise. God, I claim that promise. Looking forward to eternity where I'll never be put to shame. I grab a hold of that promise that even right now in here, no matter what anyone ever says about me now or in the future or in the past, I never will claim that shame. Hey, sins are forgiven and washed away. Verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Also on my manservants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now this is applied to Shavuot back 2,000 years ago in Acts chapter 2, and it applies there because God's spirit was poured out. And they did go forth prophesying and preaching and dreaming and sharing God's word with others, and God's spirit was poured out in a mighty way. 3,000 were immersed in one day on Shavuot. And then not long after that, another 5,000 plus women and children. Probably means 15,000 or more. Accepting the Lord. And then every day, people being added to the Lord in Jerusalem, among Jewish people and, and the surrounding areas. Even before the gospel then starts going to the world. That's like Acts chapter 4 and 6. Cornelius, the first Gentile, didn't come until Acts 10. God pouring out his spirit and people coming to the Lord. But that was just a, a little sample. The great outpouring, the early, that was the early rain. And now we're living in the latter rain or the time of the latter rain. And God started his work that way. He's not going to end his work less. He's going to end his work more glorious than ever before. And so he's going to pour out his spirit. We will receive his spirit and we will go forth and people will come to the Lord. Pour out his spirit upon all people and conviction will take place. And hearts will be turned to him. People will surrender to him. And we'll see a mighty outpouring of God's power being manifested. But again, it'll still never be the majority. God's spirit will be poured out. And as God's Spirit is poured out and people are coming to the Lord, there'll be those who've been professing to walk with the Lord who will leave the Lord at that time as well. History will repeat itself. We've seen that in history. Times get tough and they will leave the Lord and even attack those who are walking with the Lord. But God will replace their numbers with those who come to the Lord in great numbers. And God's Spirit poured out and God will manifest His power in us. And this is what the world is waiting for, to see a manifestation of God's glory in God's people. And so what's it waiting on? Why is there this not outpouring? Why are we not experiencing like Acts chapter 2 all over again? Because of us. Because of us. 
We're still attached to this world too much. We're still filled with this world too much. God can't fill us with his spirit while we're still stuffed with junk food. I don't mean literal junk food, but the junk of this world, the things of this world. We need to empty, let go of holding on to the things of this world. Surrender self, surrender the greed, surrender the pride, surrender the um, carnal nature and allow God's have room to fill us with his spirit. And the more we're empty, the more he can fill. And the more he fills, now fill to overflowing and be a blessing to others. He will pour out his spirit in those days. So again, another reference to, to the last days. We see this chapter is really last day application. And God will pour out his gifts upon us and manifest his gifts through us so that we can share with others, so that we can witness to the world, so we can be a light to the world. God's presence to come in. And again, more powerfully, so I believe we'll see thousands coming to the Lord in a day. Verse 30, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So again, this theme of judgment as well. There's a lot of overlapping. So this Rosh Hashanah overlapped with Yom Kippur and now Yom Kippur overlapping with Sukkot, this day of judgment that brings about that rejoicing. God's deliverance that takes place for his people. So wonders in the heavens. Right? The sky will be rolled back like a scroll. In several places it talks about the sun being darkened and the moon turning to blood. All the heavens will be out of place. God will shake it all. God will come forth with blood and fire and pillars of smoke. That's judgment, right? God's going to come and beat somebody up, right? It's going to be a nasty time. God's going to come and do war with the dragon and with the beast and the false prophet. God's going to cause blood, right? Revelation says blood up to the horse's bridles. And one end of the earth to the other, filled with dead bodies in his judgment. Comes with the glory of the Father, with all the heavenly angels. Coming on the clouds. And the wicked will run to the hills, fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. From his face. The earth will be shaken, an earthquake, mighty earthquake. And all blackness and God's people will know these are the signs of his coming and will rejoice. Because it's going to be a great and dreadful day of the Lord. How can it be great and dreadful at the same time? Great for those who look for his coming. <laughs> they will rejoice. <laughs> and dreadful for the wicked. This is our God. Look, we have waited for him. Coming in deliverance, never be reproached anymore. Never be accused anymore. Never threatened anymore. His deliverance coming in like a wave. History repeating itself. Now, I've noticed in history, biblical history, and that uh, God is never late. Never late. Never late. 
I've rarely seen them be early. Right? <laughs> it doesn't usually come too early, right? It's at the last moment, you know, the, in the fiery furnace, right? In the lion's den, with the Egyptians and the water in front of us, you know, last moment, he comes through. So hang on, wait till the last moment. It's going to get dark, darker than ever before. But just hang on. His deliverance will come. Last thread of rope. He will come. He will work his deliverance. And he will do judgment upon those who threaten his people. That great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. So this remnant, that's Revelation analogy too. Terminology too, right? Remnant in Revelation 14, the remnant. And it's in Revelation 14 where the where a judgment scene takes place, the separating of the of the harvest, the good harvest taken into the crops, and then the bad ones trampled down and God's remnant mentioned there, discussed there in Revelation 12 and in Revelation 14, the remnant. In Revelation 12, 17, it says, and the dragon was wroth, angry, pretty mad, right? He's wroth with the woman, God's people. And then God describes the remnant. Those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Yeshua. Simple. Two things, right? I think anybody, everybody in the world could copy that. But amazingly, almost nobody does. Even just those two simple things, to put those two simple things together. No, but the religious world has wanted to separate the two. Separate law and grace. Separate the first part of the Bible and the second part of the Bible. No, but it's those two things that identify God's people. <laughs> they keep the commandments and at the same time have faith in Yeshua. Have the testimony of Yeshua the Messiah. An amp description. And in other places, they, they take the gospel to the world. So all over the world, to every nation, to every tribe, to every kindred, to every people, God's people. So really three things, three simple things. Right? Accept Yeshua as the Messiah by his power, by his grace. Accept his forgiveness and his cleansing. And then by his power, by his spirit, accept his grace to be able to keep the commandments. And then by his power and his grace, take that to the world. Pretty simple. But impossible in our own strength, but possible through God, through the outpouring of his spirit. His remnant will last on and on and on. All whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right? Paul quotes this in Romans chapter 11. And also in 11, maybe 9, he says, And all Israel will be saved. All his people, whoever calls on the name of the Lord. So call on the name of the Lord. Call on him. Call on him in his character, in his greatness, in his marvelous character, in his marvelous works that he has done. In his glory, 
calling upon him as our deliverer, as our savior, as our helper, as our redeemer, as our sin bearer, call upon him. Reach out to him. And he will save and he will help. And so we will be in the midst of the storm and crying out and calling out, Lord, save us, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Lord, save us. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God's people, God's remnant, keeping his commandments, having faith in him, and taking his gospel to the world. He will come, and there shall be deliverance. Right? If he has to come and work deliverance, then what had to happen before he delivers us? Trouble, right? <laughs> Problems, right? You don't get delivered from a happy day, right? You get delivered from a problem, right? And so he has to come in, he swoops down and delivers us. And every mo movie ever since the beginning of time has always copied that, every story has copied that theme, right? There's the damsel on the conveyor belt getting taken over to the saw and it's going to be cut into a million pieces. And at the last moment, the hero comes sweeping in right? and saves the day, right? copying the Bible. That's the Lord God, right? We're going to be in the midst of a problem in the midst of trouble with threatenings on all sides. Whoever thinks they're doing God's service will try and kill you. The Bible says they think they're blessing God. They think they're helping God. So it's against the religious world and the economic world and the political world, and the military world coming after God's people. But God's deliverance will come through because we'll be calling on the name of the Lord, crying out to him, Save us and deliver us from the shame and the reproach that they have tried to place upon us. That's there. I don't mind being judged. I just don't like being misjudged, right? So they're going to misjudge right, God's people and accuse us of all kinds of things. Change God's word, change God's ways, change God's laws, manipulate them and change them just a hair. And then call us, like they called Elijah, you're the troubler of Israel. Not us. <laughs> you, O king, you're the troubler of Israel. God will provide. God will deliver. God will take care of his people. Amen. Hold fast to the very end. That's right. And so as we prepare to pray, whatever part you want to claim tonight, whatever part you want to hold on tonight, whatever part you want to God, to work in your life and when we pray. If, if, uh, if there's some part of the remnant you're not fulfilling, if you haven't accepted Yeshua as your Messiah, if you haven't accepted him for the forgiveness of sins, if you haven't accepted him to remove your sins from you, if you haven't accepted him as the Lord of glory, the one who came and paid the price for you, then a moment when we pray, I invite you to do so. To call on the name of the Lord, to call on him, and accept his forgiveness, accept his cleansing, and accept his deliverance. Or maybe on the other side, maybe you're not keeping his commandments. Maybe there's just one area, maybe just one area. If you've broken one, you've broken them all. There's one area you're missing out on. One sin in your heart, one area of grievance, one area of regret, one area of unconfessed sin, unconfessed wrong, any rebellion in your heart, any area, any part of the natural nature that you haven't surrendered, 
give it over to the Lord and let him forgive you and cleanse you and give you the power to walk in all of his commandments, in all of his ways, in all of his truth, even the commandment to rejoice. And whatever the command, all the commandments, to rejoice in him and to walk in him by his power, by his strength, by his grace. Third, if there's people in your life who don't know the Lord, and you know in your mind and heart that there's something more God wants to do through you, maybe it's word, maybe it's deed, maybe it's just a text or an email or post or a deed, an action, a helps, a good deed, a call, encouragement, some area in your life God is revealing to you and convicting you. Share with someone, someone maybe specific, maybe a specific name is coming to your mind or a specific face, or maybe a group, maybe a people group, maybe your neighborhood, maybe town, maybe a far away group God's calling you to pray for or to work for or to help in some way, shape, or form. And the moment we pray, ask God to give you the ability to be part of that, taking the gospel to the world, your world, that God has placed you in, your circle of influence. Fourth, if you've experienced reproach, if you've experienced shame, maybe because of some mistake on your part, maybe some wrong on your part, maybe some rebellion on your part, and you haven't accepted God's forgiveness yet, then when we pray, accept God's forgiveness. He's already died for you. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Confess the sin, give it over to him, and leave it with him. And if you've already confessed it in the past, but still feeling shame, then that's just false shame. Because if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So if you've met the requirements, he's died for you and you've confessed it, then stop feeling guilty about it. If you've received his power and are no longer doing it, then give over the false shame. So whether it's real shame or false shame, surrender that to the Lord and never be reproached again. If you're going through a difficult time now, not having the grain and the new wine and the oil and the abundance, maybe you're going through financial strain or financial trouble, maybe emotional or mental emptiness, have you experienced loss? Maybe the locusts have taken and eaten away your, your heart and your joy. Maybe through death or maybe through people move. Situations change. People retire. People leave us. There's something missing, something in your life that you feel has been taken away. Claim God's promise that he will restore the years that the locust has eaten. And so if you're feeling a lacking now, maybe a lacking of health, maybe your health is not what it used to be, your abilities are not what it used to be, surrender that to the Lord and accept his power, accept his grace, accept trust in him to provide for you even just a morsel of bread out of a bird's mouth, right? Whatever it is, accept it and rejoice and be thankful for that. Thankful for what? He has blessed you with. And trust in him for the rest. 
as he will meet our needs according to his riches and glory. And so trust in him and surrender all your, what you think you needs and what you thought you needed. Let go of it and God will give you much more. Or if you want to just praise the Lord, if you want to just rejoice in his promises and his provision and what he's done for you and the promise of heaven and, and Yeshua's sacrifice and forgiveness already in your behalf and the liberty that he's given to you, the deliverance that he's already worked in your life, the deliverance from sin and self, ego, you want to just praise his name and thank him. Thank him for the promise of heaven. Thank him for the promise to come. And the moment we pray, you can just praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him. And call out to him. Thank him. Rejoice in him. Be glad in him. As if any of those areas apply to you, whatever area applies to you, let us pray and let God do his marvelous work. If we trust in him, and if you're experiencing fear, if there's any fear in your life, fear of the future, fear of the present, fear of the time to come, fear of the monster and the monstrous thing, fear of the boogeyman, fear of whatever, the, read the news, it's horrible. It's getting fearful. But give over the fear, give over the worry, and accept his faith, the faith of Yeshua. Trust in him. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, thank you for your wondrous deeds. Thank you for your marvelous works. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for giving us your son. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you, Yeshua, for giving yourself for us. Thank you for your deliverance in our past and in our present and in the future. Thank you for the mansions you're preparing for us. Thank you, you're coming again to raise up our deceased loved ones. Thank you for your promise that you'll raise us up also and we'll meet them together with you in the air. Lord, we look forward to that time. Seal us and hold us fast. Preserve us to that time and use us in winning others for your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for your word upon us. Thank you for loving us with an everlasting love. Thank you for calling us by name. Thank you for knowing us. Thank you for tabernacling with us. Thank you for living with us. Thank you that you will live with us forever and ever and ever. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.